2 Kings chapter 10. All right. Let's get into it here. Got just a few minutes. I want to be a blessing to you. I'll be honest again. Uh, as preacher, you are flesh. We are flesh. And you come to a place like this where the greatest preachers in the country preach here. And, you know, you say, Lord, I need to give them something. You know, I want to be a blessing. But your flesh is like, you know, it's going to have to be good. It's going to have to be this or this or this. Uh, but one of the things I've learned as I've gotten older is I have to quit worrying about impressing any man and have to just please the Lord. And so the message that I've picked here today is really uh, none of those things necessarily that I would have tried to pick if I were choosing what to preach in this spot. But I do believe it's what the Lord said to preach this morning. And that's ultimately all that matters. It's a very simple thought. All my thoughts are pretty simple, as you can tell. Say, hey man, right there. Amen. All right. So a very simple thought, a very uh, a simple challenge to you. Second Kings chapter 10, verse 12. If you're looking at it, say, amen. amen. And he arose and departed and came to Samaria. And he was at the shearing house in the way. And Jehu met with the brethren of Ahaziah, king of Judah, and said, Who are ye? And they answered, We are the brethren of Ahaziah, and we go down to salute the children of the king and the children of the queen. And he said, Take them alive. And they took them alive and then slew them at the pit of the shearing house, even two and forty men. Neither left he any of them. They're slaying here the house of Ahab. Verse 15. And when he was departed, thence he lighted on Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he saluted him and said to him, Is thine heart right as my heart is right, or as my heart is with thy heart? And Jehonadab answered, It is. If it be, give me thine hand. And he gave him his hand, and he took him up to, into the chariot. Excuse me, took up to him into the chariot. And he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they made him ride in his chariot. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you to help me now to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would let me say just exactly what you'd have me to say. Use me to be a blessing and encouragement. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd apply these truths to our hearts. Help us to take them very serious. And uh, we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Now we're going to look a little bit at the life of this man, Jehu, right here. I like his story. In the Old Testament, I like uh, several things about him, particularly I like his passion. We'll talk about that. But first of all, he had a purpose. You need to know that he wasn't just going around doing wild things that came out of his heart and mind. He had been commissioned to wipe out the house of Ahab. Elisha had sent word that you've been anointed to be the next king and we want you to wipe out the whole house of Ahab. Now, uh, God don't give commandments like that anymore, but how many of you wish there were still ministries that you could get called to, which was you go to that church and take out all the knuckleheads. Wouldn't that be good? I got some rednecks in our church that feel called to that. They feel like, preacher, you want me to go kill him? No, no, no. Well, yes, I want you to, but we can't. We can't. Uh, God don't want us to do that. It was like uh, one of my favorites uh, in the Old Testament, David's mighty man, Abishai. He was always like that for David. It was always, uh, David, I pray you. He always got so spiritual when he wanted to get violent. I love the combination of spiritual and violent. And uh, when, when that man Shimei was cussing David as he was r running from uh, Absalom, and he was cussing, he said, who does this dead dog think he is to curse my Lord the king? And he looks at David and says, I pray thee, let me go take his head off. Now, I just like that. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. I like that. I pray thee, I want to go cut his head off. And, and David's always going, no, no, no. But there did come a day that there was a new young king, a new young giant about to kill David. And he yelled for Abishai, secured him to come running when you've been called for. And he turned Abishai loose and he said, yes, 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 you can kill this one. And he killed that giant. 
And so he had been waiting for his opportunity. I've been waiting for years for the opportunity for the Lord to say, yes, you can go kill that one right there in the name of Jesus. That's what's going on here for Jehu. He has been commissioned by the Lord to literally go and physically wipe out, of course, the wicked house of Ahab and Jezebel. He had a purpose, but I want you to see he had a passion. That's where I want to focus my attention for a few minutes this morning. I want to give you a simple challenge today. And I'll pull my title out of verse 16 and preach for a few minutes on this thought this morning. Come, see my zeal. Look in verse 16. He said, come with me and see my, look at this, zeal for the Lord. We're not just talking about being a wild man, but zeal for the Lord. The word zeal means excitement or enthusiasm. Webster's 1828 Dictionary says it literally means passionate ardor in pursuit of anything. I remember uh, listening to the message on grit. It had that word passion in its definition. I remember him saying that over and over. A passion uh, that would be sustained for a goal. And so kind of tying in with that, this, this outward passion though, not just the passion to keep going, this outward excitement, this visible, this verbal, this visual, if you will, uh, excitement for the things of God. We need need some Christians, young and old, but particularly we need some young people and young adult people who have a real zeal for the Lord. Now over and over I'm going to say real zeal for the Lord because I understand that we get a little nervous sometimes because of the charismatics and because of some of the fake stuff that's in the world and we don't want anybody to think we're into that. We get a little nervous about getting too excited for the Lord and then sometimes we as leaders say, well, we don't want, I've heard people say, we don't want any, uh, you know, fake fire. We don't want any fake excitement. We don't want it to be in the flesh and, and I understand where they're coming from and so I will say regularly today, real zeal for the Lord. Jehu had a real zeal for his Lord. Psalm 100 verse 2, David said, serve the Lord with what? Gladness. Everybody say it. Serve the Lord with? Now see, it takes zeal to do that. Because sometimes you're not on the mountain, sometimes you're in the valley. But as the lady's saying, he's God on the mountain and also in the valley. You know what that means? That means you can serve the Lord with zeal. You can serve the Lord with gladness, whether you're on a mountain or in a valley. I'll never forget before I was a pastor, one of the ladies, she's still in our church by the grace of God. Her name's Miss Pauletta. And Miss Pauletta got cancer in her body. We did not yet know how it was going to turn out. We didn't know if she was going to make it through. We didn't know if she was going to die. But while she physically had the health, I saw her kept getting up in the choir and she'd stand there in that front front row and those lights shining in her eyes and she'd look up almost toward the lights like looking into heaven. And we I'm not talking about weeping tears of sadness about oh why is this happening to me? I mean we would be singing things about how good God is and singing God's been good and oh how I've been blessed. And in the middle of that I'd see tears coming down her face and I'd see her lift her little hand in worship to God and I remember that made a difference in me as before I was a pastor that made a difference in me as I watched her serve with gladness in the midst of a great trial in her life. You know what she had She had a zeal for the Lord, a real zeal for the Lord her God. You ought to have that. This world needs to see some Christians who aren't just going through the motions of Christianity. And I understand because your days are so rigorous and your days are so busy and often they are so compartmentalized and scheduled that if you're not careful as a Bible college student doing the will of God and doing the work of God, you can become very mechanical in what you're doing. You can become like a little uh, Baptist robot just walking through your days because they're already laid out and you can walk in here to chapel and you can stand up when it's time and you can sing when it's time and you can go soul winning when it's time and you can go to class when it's time and if you're not careful, you can do all of it very mechanically and without any real zeal or passion. I want to challenge you about that. We need some Christians that the world can see that we're not doing it just because it's our duty. We're not doing the things of God just because we have to. Now, we've all done that. And I will say, I remember Brother Howell's message years ago about duty. 
Now thank the Lord for when you don't have your zeal and you don't have your passion and you're not on the mountain that you can faithfully keep doing the things that are right. But you understand we're not supposed to operate in that. That's not serving the Lord with gladness. That's serving the Lord out of duty. And that can keep you from getting all the way out. And I thank the Lord for that. Hey, but listen, every now and then you ought to get back over here to the way it was at some point in your life where you were just fired up about the Lord, where you were just excited about the things of God. Maybe you had just come to Bible college and you just, listen, maybe you had never even seen this many young people excited about God. Perhaps you came from a little church like I did in Kentucky that only had about 35 people. I remember the first time I went to New Manor, the church I'm the pastor of now. I'd never seen that many young people excited about God. I didn't even know... There were groups like that out in the world. I didn't see it before. I'd never experienced it. And it done something in me. And when I moved there, I was so thrilled just to be a part of a church that saw people doing something. I, I ne- Listen, the church I grew up in, just 35 people, no outreach, no soul winning, no buses. We, didn't, we thought anything big had to be wicked. Come on. Any church that was big had to be liberal. That's what our little country mindset was. And man, when I moved to New Manor and they were running buses, you know what happened to that little church? Now, I thank the Lord for it. I thank the Lord that we had the King James Bible. I thank the Lord we had uh, the Holy Spirit would speak to us in our services. I got saved in that church. I thank the Lord for it. But listen, I'd never been in a place like our church when I went there. At the church I grew up in, you know who got saved in that church? The children growing up in it. That's it. And so you might have two or three or five in a year. The children who are growing up in those few families, when they got to the age of accountability, they'd get worked with, the Lord would deal with their heart, they'd get saved, and man, we'd rejoice. And then I came to a church where they're running buses, and on any given Sunday, they might bring a pile of kids in, and 5 and 10 and 15 get saved. I was at a church where they'd have a big meeting, there might be 15 or 20 get saved. I'd never seen anything like that. And I remember when I first got there, I wanted to be in on everything. I just, listen, they didn't have to beg me to come to nothing. I didn't have to be forced to come to anything. I just couldn't believe that all this was going on in the name of the Lord. And there was a zeal and an excitement. But now I've been there 23 years. And now the Lord has allowed me to travel and I see some things. And if I'm not careful, you know what I do? I go to soul winning because it's supposed to go soul winning. And I helped on the bus. We had a, we had tried to have a big bus day last week and had some kids saved. You know, you get up and tell the church and they'll give the little, Amen. But you know what the Bible says? There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one. Heaven's not just going, oh, that's good. Oh, we had two saved. Heaven's not doing that. Heaven's rejoicing because somebody believed on the name of the Lord. And so the world needs to see some of us not just going through the motions because it's our duty. We need some Christians who are real, first of all, but then who also are enjoying our Christianity and serving the Lord with gladness. If serving the Lord looks like it's killing us, why would anybody want it? And we as adults, let me say something to us older folks in here. we got to be careful about that. I mean, all they ever hear is the prayer request and the valleys and the burdens and the please pray for me. And we give them about 25 minutes of how hard it's been and how rough it is and all that. And then at the very end, we say, but, but the Lord will bless you. And we wonder why the young people don't want it. Well, it looks like it's killed me. That's why they don't want it. I've been saved 45 years. Well, Lord, help us smile about it sometime. That'd be good. Amen. The world needs to see it. You know, I got news for you. The King James Bible uses the word hard 45 times, and it's never once talking about the Christian life. But it does say the way of the transgressor is hard. Jesus said, my yoke is, that's what he said. Now, I'm not saying we don't have troubles and trials. I certainly understand that we do. But what I'm telling you is, as compared to this world living without the Lord, hey, this is the easy life. This is the good life. This is the life we ought to be able to be excited about. Let me say a couple of things about real zeal. Are you still awake? Say, hey, man. 
All right. Very good. Y'all are doing all right. Real zeal, number one, is obvious. Real zeal is obvious. If a person has real zeal for the Lord, people will be able to tell it. A zealous Christian does things a little differently than everybody else. Second Kings chapter 9. Look at chapter 9. We'll look at Jehu here in verse 17 of Second Kings chapter 9. Real zeal is obvious. Second Kings 9 verse 17 the Bible said here, Jehu said, there stood a watchman on the tower in Jezreel and he spied the company of Jehu as he came and he said, I see a company. And Joram said, take an horseman and send to meet them and let him say, is it peace? So there went one on horse back to meet him and said, thus saith the king, is it peace? And Jehu said, what hast thou to do with peace? Turned they behind me and the watchman told saying, the messenger came to them, but he cometh not again. Just in case you hadn't figured out what's going on, Jehu is approaching a city. Now he's coming to do damage. And so the people in the city, they don't know who it is. And so they've got a watchman on the tower and he can just see from a distance people are coming. So the king says, well, send a rider out to find out who it is on a horse. And when he gets there, stop and say, are you coming in peace? Well, the rider rides out to meet Jehu and says, is it peace? And Jehu says, what do you know of peace? You better join me. And the rider just jumps in their crowd. So the watchman's still looking. And so look here, it says in verse 19, then he sent out a second on horseback, which came to them and said, Thus saith the king, Is it peace? And Jehu answered, What hast thou to do with peace? Turn thee behind me. And the watchman told, saying, He came even unto them, and cometh not again. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he driveth furiously. I said, number one, that real zeal is obvious. And what I want you to see right here is that this watchman, he doesn't have, you know, super powerful binoculars here. He doesn't have a telescope. He's not able to see exactly that this is Jehu's face. What he says is to the king, he says, wait a minute, I believe I figured out who this is because of how he drives. He driveth furiously. I'm fairly sure he was on the interstates of California last night when they were bringing me uh, from the airport because they drive furiously around here. Praise God. Say Amen. California driving is furiously. But he said he drive a furious... Now, do you understand something? Listen, everybody drove chariots in the Bible days. It wasn't like Jehu was the only person with a chariot. Does everybody understand that? He was doing... Listen, he was doing something that everybody else does. Just a regular, everyday thing. But he had so much zeal that just doing something everybody else does, he did differently. He did it so differently that you could identify him from a distance just by how he did it. And so this was not an unusual activity, but someone with zeal does regular things a little differently than everybody else. Look up here. Somebody who's got a real zeal for God, it is obvious. And even the things that everybody does, they sometimes do them just a little different because they got a real zeal. You say like what? You know, like congregational singing. You know, okay, okay, we got a song. It's going to be up here. It's a good song. The brother said, it's a good song for chapel. Let's get going. And it was a good song. But I guarantee you there were some of you and you just kind of through the motions. Have you ever been in a church near somebody who was just fired up for the Lord? Have you ever been in church around some of them new converts and they've not sung these songs a thousand times? They don't even know some of these songs and they get the book and they can't believe the words they're reading. They've just been saved. They've just been saved out of sin. And they're so packed. They start singing songs about the blood and you can just, and they're singing so loud. Have you ever been around one that's doing that and they can't sing a lick? Y'all know what that means? 
Have you ever had one in the choir? Now, our choir works different than everybody else's or than a lot of people's. We, well, we don't have just the ones that can sing. It's whoever wants to sing for the Lord can come on up. And as a matter of fact, in our main service, what we call the adult choir, uh, the lady starts playing and they know that's the, a certain song and that's the key for the choir to get up out of the pews and come to the choir. So what happens is we have all kinds of people come to the choir. Sometimes we have strangers go to the choir. I'm not making that up. I've seen visitors come walking. I'm like, who are you coming to the choir? They're coming to the choir. So we have children in the choir, the adult choir. You say adult choir? I know. I don't know why it works like that. It just does at our place, okay? We have ladies holding babies in the choir. We have babies holding ladies. <laughs> we don't have that. I just making sure you're awake. Uh, we have wildness in the choir. And so I have had, so you get up, they don't all have to be able to great singers, okay? And I tell you what I've had at times. I remember an old boy right now. He just died of cancer a few years ago. He got saved and he got backslid and got messed up in drugs and everything. And the bus route came to his house. Man, they knocked on his door. At one time, he had been on his knees searching for drugs for days, just uh, bound in sin. She came to try to get those little kids and found out there was a man in there that needed to come back to Jesus and got a hold of his heart, and the Lord did, and he came back, and his name was Danny. And I mean, Danny got fired up for God. It wasn't long. Danny was singing in the choir, and Danny was singing loud in the choir. And Danny could not sing at all. You say, what'd you do? Uh, well... Danny is, I, I probably shouldn't have picked him, because Danny is the first one I've ever went to and said, maybe tone it down just a little, Danny. He was always standing by one of our best singers, all right? And I said, you know that guy beside you? He goes, yeah. I said, he's a great singer. Don't sing louder than him. That's what I told Danny. But it, I'd never done anybody else before. Danny was just so zealous. You say, why? Because I'd rather them be zealous. You know what I always say? I say, you good singers have been doing it forever. Sing louder than him. You be more excited than he is. You've been saved 30 years. You sing with a little zeal. Hey, they do things that everybody else does, but it's just a little different when they got that real zeal. I got an old boy in our church named Keith Dale. Now, y'all think I'm, how many of y'all think I'm country? Just the way I talk. Raise your hand. That's all right. It's not going to offend me. It's okay. Well, if you think I'm country, you ought to hear Brother Keith Dale. He's from the mountains of North Carolina. We're at the foothills. We're at the foothills of North Carolina. He's from the mountains. And I'm not exaggerating when I tell you, if he was up here, he talks just like this. Slow, open your Bibles. He teaches our adult Sunday school class, man. He's a blessing. By the way, one of the, great, one of the greatest Christians I know, one of the best soul winners I know. He's, been, he's won souls in New York City. Now, you just ought to witness that. Him talking to somebody in New York City, they're not walking off because they just want to hear him talk. Can I give you this? They just stop and look like he's from outer space. He said in New York, they literally told him, they said, you're faking. You're putting on. You don't really talk like as I am what I am. But you say, what happens? I'll tell you what happens. He starts witnessing to him. I've been with him. I've seen him do it. And then all of a sudden he'll say, he'll start crying and he'll say, but I, I just don't want you to go to hell. I just, I'm just afraid you're going to go to hell. And you know, suddenly everything changes right then. It don't matter what he sounds like. All of a sudden, they're, they're in. You say, what is that real zeal? And Brother Keith was raised in a place where they uh, taught of the false doctrine that you could lose your salvation. So when he first got saved, he struggled for many years with whether or not he was saved and am I still saved and I messed up and can I still... And he doubted his salvation, really struggled with it. And he said there was one night that he was in a cottage prayer meeting, just a little church service in somebody's home. And he said, man, in the middle of that cottage prayer meeting, the Holy Spirit began to speak to him. I don't know if it's through a song or a message or whatever. And he said it was that night that the Holy Spirit nailed it down in his heart that he is saved and he is saved forever. And to be honest with you, Brother Keith just has never gotten over that. 
He remembers what he felt like all them years that he doubted and how, how he just had no victory and had no joy and was always afraid and feared his heart. And so listen, he gets excited about it all the time. And when I tell you that he gets excited, now we're, we're a camp meeting kind of church. Now before you judge us, we're a camp meeting church that also has soul winning and also has buses, all right? So if you have any stereotypes in your mind on that, we try to be a little balanced. But being a camp meeting church, we shout a lot. Now we don't just shout like amen, we shout like people shout. Now, how many of y'all know what I'm talking about when I said that? Where I grew up in church in Kentucky, the little country, we called it getting happy. And so anybody ever heard that phrase? That old so-and-so got happy. Now, when so-and-so gets happy, it ends up something like this. Woo! It's something like that, see? Most time their hands are raised. Woo! Bless the Lord! Something like that. Well, Brother Keith is one of those. And when he shouts, I mean, it's, it's loud and scarce. Sometimes he does it right in the middle of the choir. You talk about, we had, I remember we had a tour group from one of the Bible colleges visiting us. And they're sitting on the front row, just, you know, perfect, prim and proper. And uh, Brother Keith gets wound up. I saw it happening. I thought, well, this is going to be good. We'll see how this goes. You say, what happened? They were videoing Brother Keith getting happy. They're like... Now, they said they loved it, but I know later they were like, you ain't going to believe this. Look at Brother Shirley's shirt. Now, I'll tell you the truth. When visitors come in and sit near him, I get nervous sometimes. I think, oh, oh, maybe he won't get happy today. Maybe he won't. Now, you know what? If you're not careful, sometimes you'll see somebody like that and you'll begin to judge them. You'll think, well, they're just doing that for a show or, boy, they're just putting on or they just want attention. And I understand that can happen, but I'm going to tell you, that's not everybody. And Brother Keith's the real deal. And I mean, I, he'll get wound up. I, I worry if the visitor's sitting in front of him, we're singing it as well with my soul. I, just, I want to tell the song leader, don't sing that. Don't sing that. We got visitors sitting in front of Brother Keith. And you know how the visitors are. They're just holding the book and they're being very, you know, calm. And they're just maybe moving their mouth. And I, I could see him behind them just about to explode. And I think, no, 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 no. <laughs> and we get to that, uh, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Here, whoa! And they about throw their songbook. I just go ahead and fill out their visitor card, never coming back. That's what I write on that one. You say, well, you ought to tell him. I'm not going to tell him anything. You say, why? Because I believe it's real zeal. My preacher boys used to take advantage of his real zeal. I remember a time they all went out soul winning. So people got saved. They went to a Shoney's restaurant. If you know what that is, just a little restaurant there. And they were sitting in Shoney's. Now, I wish I could tell you that these preacher boys were being spiritual, but they were not. They were being wicked. They were just wondering. They were wondering. I wonder if we can get Brother Keith wound up in Shoney's. So they just started talking about spiritual things to Brother Keith and showing his boy, wasn't it good that person got saved? Boy, ain't it good to be saved? Boy, I'm glad we're saved forever. I'm glad we can't lose our salvation. Them boys are priming him pretty soon. Brother Keith's crying, eating his food. And before long, you know what happened, right in Shoney's. Woo! I'm glad I'm saved. People come over. You ought to keep that in the church. Woo! He don't care. You know what? That, that helps me. If he'll do it, listen, if he'll do it in Shoney's, then it's probably real. And by the way, somebody ought to see your zeal somewhere besides church. They ought to see it. The folks, the folks that know us best ought to know that we really are zealous for the things of the Lord. Hey, we're not seeking attention. We're not just trying to uh, draw attention to people you go to class with. If you're one of these that are zealous, it shouldn't just be when the, when the leaders are around. There ought to be times by yourself. There ought to be times that you get excited in the car. There ought to be times you get excited in the dorm. There ought to be times you get excited all by yourself. I mean, just worship the Lord all by yourself. Verbally, audibly, out loud, all by yourself. Just worship the Lord. I was praying upstairs in our house. We got a little loft and I'd, I'd gone up there. The kids were downstairs in the living room watching something. And so I turned on the TV up there and put on some uh, gospel music singing just so it kind of drowned out what they were doing downstairs. 
And I'd listened to that before. It was, a, it was a video of different gospel groups singing. I'd listened to it before, but I really wasn't trying to focus. And all of a sudden, the song come on, and I'd listened to it, but I hadn't really noticed it. And while I was praying, I told you I'm easily distracted. No doubt ADHD before it was de- defined, praise God. They used to just call us hyper and whack us in the head. That's all they did back in the day. That's a hyper kid. And so it didn't hurt us none, except, you know, we got all these problems we got now. And so I just heard that song, and it got my attention. Man, it blessed me. Right in the middle of my prayer, that song blessed me. I rewinded it a little play that again. Oh, it blessed me a second time. Pretty soon I'm going, amen, to the TV, in the loft. Amen, yes. It was talking about how the Lord, the Lord wouldn't trade his crown when Satan tempted him. He, he would, as if he said to Satan, I won't trade my crown for that. I'm not going to turn in who I am to give in to this temptation. And he was thinking of us. Man, that first verse was blessing me. I'm like, Lord, that's right. You're so good. I'm amen, amen. I'm backing up. Then the second verse was us saying that when our temptation comes. Lord, I won't, I won't trade my crown for that. And I'm like, Lord, I don't want to. Pretty soon my son Cooper, he hollers from down in the living room. He says, Dad, are you getting a blessing up there? I believe I am, son. Hey, man. I'm saying it again. Hey, has anybody ever caught you getting a blessing? Not in the crowd. I'm for it in the crowd. Real zeal is obvious very quickly. Real zeal is contagious. This same few verses right here, what you saw is you saw that they were riding toward this town in chapter 9. And the king says, send a watchman out. Send a rider out. And so the first rider comes out and he says, ask him, is it peace? And, and he says uh, in verse 18, he shows up and he says, is it peace? And Jehu said, what hast thou to do with peace? Turn thee behind me. And the watchman told, saying, the messenger came to them, but he cometh not again. You say, what happened? It looks like he just joined him. He said, hey, is it peace? And Jehu said, what do you know about peace? You better just join us. And the guy says, okay, and just joins up. They send another rider out. He says, is it peace? Jehu, same thing. What do you got to do with peace? You better just join us. And he just joins us. And then they get over here in verse 30 and 30, 30 to 34. Look at this. They show up at Jezebel's house. And when Jehu was come to Jezebel... Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it and she painted her face and tired her head and looked out a window. And as Jehu entered in at the gate, she said, Hath Zimri peace who slew his master? And he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? And there looked out to him two or three eunuchs. And he said, Throw her down. So they threw her down. And some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses. And he trod her underfoot. He walked over it. Look at verse 34. And when he was coming in, he did eat and drink. You say, what does that mean? They threw her down and her blood splattered. And Jehu says, let's go eat, boys. And walks over her dead body and goes into her house and eats. That's what that means right there if I read it right. Now, that's not the message, but I really like that too. I'm just going to be honest with you. What has my attention here is that he shows up just like those guys that came to him. And he just says, hey, hey, who, who's on my side? And two eunuchs. Now, them eunuchs would have been personal servants of this queen. That's her, she's their queen. And he just says, who's on my side? And they said, we will be. I mean, just like that. Well, words are cheap. If you are, throw her down. And they cast their queen out the window. You know why? Because real zeal, it's contagious. It spreads. It affects and it infects others. I would ask you, has anyone ever joined the cause of Christ because they saw something in you that they liked. Now I'm, I'm not talking about. I'm all for soul winning. Obviously we're for that. But I'm not even talking about somebody you met at their door. For the sole purpose of soul winning. I'm talking more about in your daily life. I'm talking more about where you work. When you don't know they're watching. 
where you play ball, where you work out at the gym, where you're, you know, uh, mingling in some ways with this lost world. Has there ever been anybody that just watches, watches how you live your everyday Christian life and just by watching the joy with which you have it, they say, I want some of that. See, when I watched Miss Pauletta, now she was in a church service, but what I was watching was her go through a period of her life when she should have been broken and she should have been distraught, but instead she still had a joy and she was still serving the Lord with gladness and still thankful to the good things of God. And you know what it did? It made me want to have more of what she had. I was in church, but it made a difference in me. Do you get around anybody? Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, and I'm watching my time. we only got a few more minutes. Stay with me. That... Uh, that there are some in the church, we call them joy suckers. That's what they are. They, uh, if you're feeling good and you see them, you turn and go the other way because you know as soon as you talk to them, they're going to suck all the joy right out of your life. How many of y'all have ever met some of them? I mean, if you see them coming, you think, oh boy, here they come. And, and it, men, listen, please just learn this lesson. Don't say, how are you doing? You say how you're doing before they're done, you both want to kill each other. You want to kill yourself, each other, and everybody you know. They suck the joy right out of you. But let me ask you this, but have you known some other Christians that are the opposite of that? Have you known some other Christians that when you, maybe they go to another church, maybe they're in another youth group, maybe they're a preacher in another place, but just when you get around them, you enjoy being around them because they're just so excited about being a Christian and you found out after through the years it's not fake, and it's not put on, but they just truly have the joy of the Lord. See, a lot of problem with a lot of Christians is we have joy unspeakable, but we don't understand it right. You think it means you got it so hid nobody can tell it. That's not what he meant when he said joy unspeakable, all right? What he meant about joy unspeakable is it's so good I can't describe it. That's what he meant. But most Christians got that joy, but it's unspeakable. I just keep it hid way down here. No, turn it loose and let somebody see. Hey, let some young person where you work see that being a Christian is not just good in this building. That being a Christian is good in that building. And that being a Christian is the best thing that ever happened to anybody. Not only because when we die, we go to heaven and not hell, but because every day in our life, we have the Holy Spirit of God that lives in us and walks with us and helps us. And they ought to see a joy that makes them want to have what we have. Real zeal, hey, it's contagious. We ought to be infecting other people with the zeal of the Lord. Remember Paul standing in Acts chapter 26 before King Agrippa. He was in shackles and chains. He was on his way to Rome where eventually, of course, he'd be killed for the cause of Christ. And he gets to speak for himself. And after he gets to talking a little bit, and of course, all he tells them is what happened when he met Jesus. He just starts telling them about the Damascus Road and how the Lord showed up in his life even though he had been a, a Christian killer and, and he was unworthy. He says, but the Lord came. And he starts getting excited. And Festus, another political leader, is watching from the side. And Festus sees him and he finally says, Paul, much learning doth make thee mad. Now, he wasn't talking about being angry. You know that. He was talking about being crazy. He's watching this man in shackles and chains. And, and he's in shackles and chains because of his belief in Jesus. But as he hears him speak, he, all he sees is how joyful he is about the fact that he met Jesus. He's not in any way, shape, or form saying, you know, that, that I'm here because of Jesus and I wish it. No, no, no. He's saying the best thing ever happened to me and I wish it would happen to all of you is that I met the Lord Jesus one day. I'm here today because of that, but I'm happy about the fact I met the Lord. And, and Festus is trying to figure that out. And he says, that doesn't make any sense, Paul. You've, you've gone crazy and Paul's not crazy. Now, he's crazy about Jesus, but he ain't crazy like Festus thought. But I'm telling you that it's contagious because when he was about done, that king that he was speaking to says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. 
Now that's a powerful statement because in order to be a Christian, probably he would have had to given up his position. He would have probably had to given up his power and perhaps all of his prosperity. It would have been a life change. If you remember, I believe uh, it was Pilate that when Pilate decided he was going to side with Jesus, they said, we're going to tell Caesar. And Pilate said, well, then, you know, I have nothing to do with him. And so there's a chance when he says that I almost want to be a Christian, he could have lost everything. You say, what about convinced him? That guy in shackles and chains that still had joy. That guy standing there about to go to prison, about to go to Rome and stand before Caesar. But all he could say was, I think myself happy. Now, that's an important part of that. He said, I think myself happy. That's what happened. Paul began to think about how good God had been, even though he was in a tough time right then. And as he began to think about how good the Lord had been, he got joy bubbling up on the inside, and it started showing up on the outside, and it impressed that king to the point that he said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I wish it wasn't just almost, but all together, and not just you, but everybody in here. Hey, have you ever infected anybody just with the joy of the Lord? Let me ask you this. Has anybody ever watched you be excited about God and think you're just a little bit crazy? That's what Festus said. I mean, has anybody just ever seen you so happy at a time when maybe you shouldn't have been that they said, man, man, man what's, what's up with you? So that you can then say, oh, it's Jesus. Don't you have, don't you have a sick relative right now? Oh, yeah, but God's good. Oh, the best thing that ever happened to me was we met Jesus. And by the way, the best thing that ever happened to us was that we met, we met Jesus. Sometimes we call it being on fire for God, this idea of zeal. And I want you to know that the fire makes a difference. You say, preacher, I mean, I'm, I'm faithful, I'm here, I'm doing my part. Why is it so important that I have this zeal? Because the zeal, the fire of God, it makes a difference. Remember in 1 Kings 18 when Elijah was on Mount Carmel. And they were going to have that great contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. There were people there that were not part of either group. There were Jews there. There were people that should have been standing with Elijah. And when he showed up, he said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If God be God, follow him. And if Baal, follow him. And the Bible says they answered not a word. They didn't say anything. I believe that surprised Elijah. I believe Elijah thought there would be at least a few come over here and stand with him. But none did. And by the way, they go through the motions of their sacrifice and it comes time for Elijah. Most of you know that story. He has the sacrifice. He digs the ditch. He fills it with water and pours extra water all over it. And then he prays. But I'm going to tell you something. It wasn't even, and I'm not minimizing prayer, but I'm going to tell you, it wasn't even just the prayer that changed those people watching. Because then the fire fell. And the Bible says when they saw it, saw what? Saw the fire. See, they'd seen people pray. They had watched people be religious outwardly, but they'd never seen the fire. And when that real fire of God fell, you know what that crowd started saying? That earlier he said, how long halt ye? And they answered not a word. And now they started saying, it says they fell down on their face. They started saying, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. And Elijah said, all right, if you believe what you're saying, then get up with me and let's go take care of these prophets of Baal. And they got involved in the work of God. You see, what made the difference? The fire made the difference. It does matter that you've got a little fire in your soul about this thing called Christianity. It does matter that we have a little joy of the Lord. By the way, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Some of you this morning might need to say, Lord, I need you to restore the fire or restore to me, like David said, the joy of thy salvation. We need to have some real zeal. It's obvious. It's contagious. I wonder, by the way, if we were to ask your dorm mates if you have real zeal, what would they say? Now, some of you come in here and you might be pretty zealous. But is that the only time your dorm mates ever see you zealous? 
It's obvious. It's contagious. If you've got the real zeal of the Lord, the real joy of the Lord overflowing in your soul, it'll make a difference. It'll stir you in your heart. Real zeal is victorious. It's thirdly and lastly. Do you ever experience any victories in your Christian life? You should. I know we all go through hard times. I've already said, Jesus said in John 16, 33, these things I've spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But you know what he said after that? But be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. See, yeah, we're going to have the tribulation, but then the victory is attached to it in Jesus. He said, but I have overcome the world. You can be of good cheer. So I'm not acting like we don't have troubles and trials. We do. But see, we have Jesus in our troubles and trials. And the Bible also says that we can have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. And so real zeal is victorious. And we're not going to turn and look at it all, but in chapter 9, Elisha the prophet gave Jehu a job and God wanted him to smite the house of Ahab. And he set out to do it. And he set out to do it with excitement and enthusiasm. And soon it had spread and he had gathered some help. Before you know it, he destroyed Ahab's sons, who was the king at this time, and his wicked wife Jezebel and the rest of his family. He had achieved the victory in the name of the Lord. When was the last time you achieved a spiritual victory through the help of the Lord? When was the last time that you had an important prayer answered? Now, I know that's on God's timing. But what I'm telling you is, a person who lives this Christian life serving the Lord with gladness, who lives this Christian life not with fake joy, but real joy. One of the things I never want to get over is that I know where I came from. One of the reasons I get so intimidated coming to places like this is because I know where I came from. I know that I came from that drunkard's home. For 25 years, my dad was a drunk. I know that I came from a place that didn't know what Christian school was. I didn't have the privilege of Bible college. Now, I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you, I don't ever forget where I came from. So that when I see what God has done and will do in a life, I can be excited about it. I don't want to ever get used to God. I preached that here last year, that we get used to Jesus. We've seen so much of the Lord in our lives sometimes that we just get used to the good things of God. When was the last time you led somebody to the Lord or was used by God to bring some prodigal home? By the grace of the Lord, I was preaching last week in Georgia. And there was a young, uh, young man named Brandon. I met him in the lobby. And I, I don't know all the people. One of my preacher friend's sons has just started pastoring that church about two years ago. And so I don't know if these people have been there a long time or just come. So I spoke, spoke to him. I said, do you go to church here? There were some visiting churches. He goes, yeah, I go here. And I, I, th- I thought, how long have you been coming? I thought maybe he's an old member or just came since Levi's been there. He said, this is just my second visit ever. And so I was like, oh, oh well, amen. Well, we're glad you came tonight, Brandon. It was a, I think it was a Thursday night or a Friday night. Friday night. So we're glad you came. And, and, I, and I started talking a little bit more. And I started asking about his salvation and he wasn't sure. Started talking a little more, and then he said, well, I got saved when I was young, but I've drifted way far away. I talked to Levi later, and he's been, his children had started coming, and his wife and his children had gotten saved. He and his wife had been separated. They had just recently got back together, but things were not going good. He said to me that night, he said, we got a lot of problems. He said, I'm searching for answers. I said, well, Jesus is the answer. And he didn't want to really get into it right then, but I said, Brandon, you keep coming. Jesus will help you. This preacher will help you. You keep coming. He came back, now that was Thursday night, he came back on Friday night and I preached a message and it was really uh, just all about Jesus. And boy, at the end of it, uh, after just magnifying the Lord, Brandon came to the altar and the preacher had told me that he now claimed to be an agnostic. 
that he had gotten bitter at Christians and he had seen some hypocrites and he talked about the hypocrisy in the church and he had gotten so far away from him, didn't even know if he believed in God anymore. But that night, hey, that night we just talked about Jesus a whole lot and he came to that altar. I got down beside him and, and he was just heaving on the altar. Tears, Lord, I had to go get tissues and hand them to that big old boy. And uh, he was crying and the, one of the deacons of the church and the staff got down there and started praying with him. And Brandon gave his life back to the Lord. When he got up, I hugged him and I said, Brandon, Jesus really is the answer. He said, I know. I thought, well, that's, that sounds like an agnostic, doesn't it? I know Jesus is the answer. What had happened? He'd got help. And, and the preacher's been texting me that he came back Sunday and he hang out, hung out with everybody and went to the dinner they had. And he texted me and said the other night, Wednesday night, he said, the first time I met Brandon, he was telling us not to give a Bible to his children. That's the first thing he told him. He said, and now tonight, he's asking me if I can give him one. You say, what is that? That's a prodigal that's come home. Hey, and the Lord let me have a little part in it. That church did all the work. But I got to be in the service and I got to say a few things about Jesus. And I can't tell how excited I get every time Levi texts me and says something new about Brandon coming back to the Lord it does something inside I don't want to get over that God could still use me to see some victories and I want to have joy and I want to serve with gladness you say well you just don't have any problems you don't know what you're talking about I just told the preacher in the office we've had unbelievable craziness enter into our home over the last seven months not due to any actions of our own, but this, uh, uh, my extended family and things they've done. And new kids brought into our house who've been raised in a, a drug house. And just unbelievable stuff. So everything's not perfect, but I'll tell you what is perfect. Jesus is perfect. The Word of God is perfect. And the best thing that ever happened to me was when I gave my whole life to God and said, I'll follow you and I'll do my best to do what you have me to do. And what I have been allowed to see is that despite my failures, despite my shortcomings, despite my lack of guilt, the Lord Jesus can still bring victory from time to time. And you need to see some in your life. And you get a real zeal for God. I mean real. That you just, you just can't believe He lets you serve Him. By the way, you ought to be amazed that He would let you serve Him. All of us should. Preacher raised in a preacher's home and I don't know how many generation Christian, but you know what? He is a sinner. And he ought to be amazed that the holy God of heaven would let him serve him. And so should you, and so am I. I don't know who's coming to the piano, but they can go ahead and come. Real zeal is victorious. Now listen, real zeal is not personality. All right? I want you to understand that. You say, well, I'm just not geared like that. Real zeal is not personality. Real zeal is not charisma. You don't have to have charisma. You don't have to have a certain kind of personality to have a real zeal. Real zeal is not even necessarily a life-changing spiritual moment. Much like what Brother Shetler said about grit, real zeal can simply become a decision. A decision that I'm no longer just going to go through the motions, but I want to serve the Lord with gladness. I want people to be able to see that the best thing that ever happened to me was the Lord. Would the people in your dorm say you have real zeal? You know, God is worthy. He is worthy of us being excited about being one of His children. He is the best thing that ever happened to me. It's like Mephibosheth. You know, Mephibosheth had sons. For years I didn't know that. I've read it, but you just read over little things. But he had sons. Can you imagine what them sons thought about how their life changed? Going from Lodabar with a crippled dad that couldn't do anything. Probably, listen, probably them sons out begging. So now all of a sudden they've got a house, they've got servants, 
And dad eats at the king's table every night. I guarantee you there were some conversations about daddy, how'd that happen? Daddy, are you one of the king's kids? And I could see Mephibosheth setting them boys down and saying, boys, I know there's some people in our land that don't love the king. Everybody don't agree with the king and what he's done, but I want you boys to know something. And if you're on the altar, that's fine. But if you're not, you look up here. And I believe King David would look at them boys and he would say this, boys, everything good in our life, the king gave us. And no matter what anybody else says about him, you love the king and you serve the king. And see, that's what I tell my children. I want them to know that every good thing, by the way, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above. I didn't make that up. That's Bible. And I want to say to them, I say, kids, I want y'all to know every good thing we do is because of Jesus. You say, don't y'all have trouble? Do your kids have trouble because they're the preacher's kids? They've had some. It happens. It's normal. But their life is much more blessed because they're the preacher's kid than it is hindered because they're the preacher's kid. And I don't ever want them to feel like they got cheated because they was born into the preacher's house. I regularly want to say to them, hey, you know why we're getting to do this? Because we're serving the Lord. He's the best thing. And he is worthy, let's all stand, of us to not just serve him robotically. He is worthy of your zeal. He is worthy of you verbally, visually, outwardly presenting the joy of the Lord to the people that see you live. Not just when you're witnessing, not just when you're serving, but just when you're living. How do you answer the question, how you doing? If you're just walking through the airport and somebody who's looking at your ticket says, how are you doing today? How do you answer that? You know, if we're not careful, we'll say something like, oh, hanging in there. Oh, hanging in there. Doing the best I can. You know what we ought to say? We ought to say, you know what I say now? I say I'm spoiled rotten. And they look at me kind of crazy. And I'll say, my wife spoils me and the Lord has spoiled me. Or I say, I'm blessed. If I catch myself not saying one of those, I try to catch it and go back and say, I'm so blessed. We're blessed, aren't we? You know why? Because I got the best life in the world. Jesus has been good to me. This world deserves to see a Christian who's excited about it and has some real zeal.